There's got to be an explanation to all these UFO sightings, right? Hey, it's Stephen Diener, host of the Unidentified Alien Podcast. And whether you're new to the conversation or have been looking into it for years, you need to check out the fastest growing alien show out there, the Unidentified Alien Podcast, or UAP for short. There's a crazy amount of alien encounter stories out there from all over the world. And the beauty of it is that I bring them all to you and let you decide what you believe. Download and subscribe to UAP on any of the major podcasting platforms. And you can also find it on UAPpodcast.com. It's Tuesday, September 27th. From inside the WTOP newsroom, this is the DMV Download, brought to you by the men and women of Steamfitters Local 602. Get an estimate and learn more at steamfitters-602.org. Today, the man who leads the governing board over one of the biggest counties in our region joins us in studio. Jeff McKay has held the title of chairman of Fairfax County's Board of Supervisors for two years and tells us he stands with the thousands of students walking out of school this morning in protest of Governor Glenn Youngkin's proposed rules for trans students. I couldn't be prouder of these kids. They know what happens in the classroom. They know what stress they're under, and frankly, they're concerned about classmates of theirs being targeted. The chairman also says Virginia needs to get better at getting guns out of the hands of residents who pose threats to their community. The idea that kids have to go down a lockdown drill, in particular in a country and in a state like Virginia where we can't do better to prevent gun violence is concerning to any parent. It's stressful to any kid. Thanks for joining us. I'm Megan Cloherty. And I'm Luke Garrett. A pandemic, a seismic statewide political shift, an insurrection, a learning loss crisis, concerning crime trends, and a short-staffed police force. Those are just a few of the challenges that have come before Jeff McKay as chair of Fairfax County Board of Supervisors. Chairman McKay joins us now in studio. Thank you for being here. Sure. Thank you. Um, We'll start, I mean, just with what's going on today. The very public response to Governor Glenn Youngkin's move to limit rights for transgender students in schools delivering on his promise to hand parents more control over the way teachers and administrators address their child's gender identity. Today, thousands of high schoolers across Northern Virginia are staging a walkout right now, and it seems this particular political agenda item is really being ill-received by some of your youngest constituents. What are you hearing about the walkout? And I want to ask you, too, what your take is on Youngkin's directive to the Board of Education to change its policies. Sure. Well, I'm hearing what you said is tremendous walkout from our students in Fairfax County uh, public schools. And frankly, I'm proud of them. I'm proud of them for standing up and and making a statement. My daughter's one of those kids that's walking out today. Mm. Um, And, you know, I couldn't be prouder of these kids. They know what happens in the classroom. They know what stress they're under. And frankly, they're concerned about classmates of theirs being targeted I mean, I think this is an example of where, you know, sometimes we need to listen to the kids and people in the classrooms more and less to the politicians about what they're trying to to accomplish here. What is Hmm. clear today is kids, teachers, people are upset and they don't want to see these new standards put in place. And Chairman, we actually reached out to Governor Glenn Youngkin, you know, to interview him on this very subject. But he was unable to join us in part because he's in Georgia rallying with Governor Kemp. But he did send us a statement, quote, this is about engaging parents in a decision moment where they belong. And the previous model policy, unfortunately, excluded parents, end quote. So, Chairman, you know, do you support rolling back these new proposed rules regarding transgender students? Um, I do. I do. I, I you know, I think that um not only the kids being outspoken today, but I think we have to look at this at a, at a macro level, too. You know, our kids are under a lot of stress these days. Social media, shootings in schools, uh, COVID learning loss, being away from uh, their loved ones in isolation in, mm-hmm. a, in a worldwide pandemic. There's a lot of weight on our kids. Mm. And we've got to stop piling on top of it 
Um, and we've got to stand up and respect and stand up for all of our kids and our teachers that are in a difficult time right now. And the last thing we should be doing is adding to their stress, adding to their mental health challenges. I know that um, Steve Viscano has been really outspoken about this. Has there been any pressure on you or do you feel any pressure to say anything to the governor's office? Like, hey, can we back off of this a little bit? Or Well, I've said that. I, I don't need pressure on me to say the right thing. I, I think what he's doing is wrong. Um, I think we had model procedures in place, model policies and FCPS that were working and working quite fine for our kids. They were not disrupting learning or, or our children. Um, and so I have been outspoken about this. I will continue to be because I think, you know, representing the entire county, what I'm focused on is the overall health of our community. Mm -hmm. And these type of divisive things that are causing our kids to get stressed out, um, you don't ever want to be on the receiving call of a, a child who has committed suicide. It's one of the worst mm -hmm. things that I ever have to do. Mm -hmm. And so I've got to set a tone for how our kids can be themselves, be accepted, be comfortable, and that we live in a community that overall is healthy. And, and I think about that every minute of every day. Mm. Moving now, you know, from today's news to the broader topic of crime. A few months back, we had Chief Kevin Davis on, and we talked about a myriad of issues facing the county, including increased domestic violence incidents, carjackings, and, you know, shooting threats. Are you concerned about the safety in Fairfax County? Well, first, we're the, we're the safest jurisdiction of our size in the country, and I can't say that enough. Mm. Um, but I also am always concerned about uh, crime trends, and certainly there's been some influencers out there. I mean, COVID was one of them. We've seen increases in domestic violence in the county that can be linked right back to a, a, an experience we all had during COVID that has been stressful. It's kind of what we were talking about before. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, we're always looking at the crime trends. Obviously, all of us are concerned nationwide about recruiting uh, police officers to fill positions and how we can make sure that we are not just reactive to crime, but we are proactive in preventing crime from happening. And so the way we look at this in the county is not only resources on the ground, which are vital, but what programs do we have in place that are trying to help people who are chronic offenders no longer offend? And this is where mental health and public safety intersect so often. And so our Diversion First program, which is a, a national model for how you can divert people who have you know, mental health or substance abuse challenges, intersect our criminal justice community, get treatment mm -hmm. instead of going back to jail or worse, going out on the street and committing another crime. And so we're looking at the short game here. Uh, we're also looking at the long game and how we can prevent crime. And certainly everyone I talk to in the region tells me their number one issue and concern right now is finding workforce. So I can't afford to have people sitting in a jail uh, when they could be getting rehabilitation and filling some of these vacant jobs out there in our community. So I'm always concerned about being on the front lines of not just preventing crime, but taking people who have who have caused, you know, have gotten wrapped up in criminal activity. Mm -hmm. And how do we make them a better person so that they're not doing and repeating that offense in the county? And so um, it's a big picture thing, mm. uh, but I think it's really important. Um, but but that being said, you know we're we're constantly uh, measuring the trends and making sure that where things are out of alignment, we can inf you know increase uh, visibility of our police in certain parts of the county where we're seeing activity happen. Mm -hmm. um, but I like to think of this as a very sophisticated approach to not just crime, but also criminal justice, and again the overall health issue I was talking to earlier. Is Diversion First, that program, is that part of, and excuse me for not knowing, but is that part of the mental health expert goes out with a police officer to respond? Because 
I know that was a huge thing in Fairfax County. This isn't a police officer's job. And so many of the calls involve mental health crises. Yeah, increasingly so. So there's two different things. Um, One is our co-responder model, which is where we do have a clinical uh, person accompany a police officer on a call that involves someone suffering from mental health challenge. And then we also have diversion first, which is when someone has committed a crime that is nonviolent, um, how can we get them voluntarily in a program of treatment instead of incarceration? And so that's a partnership with the courts. Uh, We have great judges in Fairfax County who help people through a diversion first curriculum. Mm -hmm. Um, And what we're seeing is those folks that go through that are not repeat offenders. And so we have to respond with co-responder when we have a mental health call to handle that call right. But then based on the outcome of the crime committed, that's not where we stop. Then how do we get that person back into society properly? Mm. Um, You touched on this earlier as the short staffing at police departments. And as you said, and which is true across our region, for sure, almost every police department is not where they want to be. Right. um, And well below where they want to be. I'm talking to a couple of my sources over at Fairfax County Police, and they say they're on 12 hour shifts, mandatory 12 hour shifts at this point. Obviously, that's still within the MOU of the union. That's not, you know, going above and beyond what they say they would do. But from the outside perspective, you have somebody working consistent 12-hour days. At what point are you concerned, you know, mistakes are going to be made from someone overworking or, I don't know, I mean... A breaking just, point. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Well, you know, our, our men and women in the police department are professionals. I'm not concerned about mistakes being made simply because of that, Yeah. Uh, because of the training that they receive and the support that they get. Um, but it is a change for sure. And what we're monitoring very closely is does it have an effect on our officers or not? I've talked to some where this is more beneficial to them because they get more time off then, longer spans of time off. And to so, sort of recuperate. Um, and, yeah, yeah. And, and to refresh. And depending on their family situation, that might be more important to them. Hmm. And so it's something we're watching uh, very carefully. We've had mixed responses from you know our officers about it. Um, but frankly, anytime you make a big change like that, you expect to get some blowback. Uh, from some folks on that. And so, um, you know, what we have seen is is no officers leaving as a result of that change. And I, I verified that with the chief this morning, and that's mm. important to me. Uh, the question becomes in the long term, you know, one, how long do you have this model in place? And then two, are people liking this model? Because this is a model used in police departments across the country. This is not a rare thing. We right. just shifted to this because what's important to me is to make sure that we can increase our visibility of our officers out there in the field on patrol. Um, And so that has been a successful outcome of this change. Um, But we always intended this to be temporary when we get recruits up and get some of the vacancies that we have in the department filled. Mm -hmm. Um, I know the board is considering a referendum change to offer, possibly offer, new recruits a $15,000 signing bonus. Obviously, it sounds great, but if you're an existing officer and you didn't get that, it kind of is a little bit sour. Um, How quickly could that happen? And is there also something being considered for existing officers? Yeah, well, it could happen very quickly. It's an up to that amount. The county executive has always been authorized to go up to $5,000. He has not done that uh, for recruitment to date. Uh, We raise the level because, frankly, some of our peer jurisdictions across the country are doing that, and that's who we're competing Ah, with. Interesting. And so we want to make sure that we are ultra-competitive always for officers. And talking to the chief this morning in our new recruit class, uh, we have an officer recruited from California, another one from Colorado, one from Tennessee. And so we want to make sure we're recruiting the biggest pool of qualified people possible. Um, And so for existing officers, obviously, this is a concern. In the last budget, uh, we brought back steps, merits, longevity. Mm -hmm. Uh, But we also, uh, in the last budget, fixed this early compression issue that we were hearing from officers. So we've been raising salaries. 
but officers who have been working two or three years might be making less than someone just coming in. And so we went back and mechanically fixed that compression issue in our pay scales. Yeah. Um, I think a similar thing will have to happen with this. If, if the county executive elects to move forward with signing bonuses of that amount, then we'll have to look at, you know, how do we make officers that just got hired uh, whole somehow because we want to value them as much as we want to value uh, recruits. But this is meant to be very surgical to be used uh, in only a few job classes where mm. we literally are at a point where we must do this to be competitive. So I think police, sheriff, uh, probably mental health professionals, uh, maybe the county executive will come back with more. But if we're to move forward with this, we will act on it at our next board meeting in October. Um, and the county executive that will then have the authority real time because he's dealing with this on a daily basis. I don't want to have to come back to the board to say, hey, we want to do a $7,500 signing bonus because all of a sudden we're out of mental health professionals. Right. I want him to be proactive and say, we're seeing a trend here mm. uh, with this job class. We want to go after these people and I want to give him every tool I can to do that. But how do you fund that? I mean, especially with the markets, we've not all been watching everything be in the red for so long. I know you have these... You know, you have a, a rainy day fund, but that seems like it would be a huge digging into that big time. Yeah, well, we're not going to dig into the rainy day fund for this. What, where we're able to absorb the signing bonus of his, is if he moves forward with these now is we can take that out of the vacancy pool. Because there are so many vacant positions in the county that were funded, uh, we do have a balance remaining there that can mm. be used for signing huh. bonuses to recruit new employees. And okay. so this is not does not have a big fiscal impact on the county. As you know, the county is very large. The budget several billion dollars. We're talking about a very narrow amount of money for a very narrow number of people. Um, and my interest in that is just getting the best and brightest people in the country to want to come work in Fairfax County. Mm -hmm. And to me, that's a very small price to pay to be competitive. Mm. Moving now to gun-related crimes. We haven't mentioned it directly here yet, but it's fair to say there is an increase that we're seeing. Can you talk about the red flag laws that you know are being kind of rolled out here in Fairfax County? Yeah, I'd be glad to. Uh, we advocated in the General Assembly for these. Uh, Virginia is so different in that we can't just put these laws in effect in Fairfax without permission from the state. And so we advocated the General Assembly for these laws. Um, I know we've taken in the last year over 60 guns. Um, out of the hands of people who have been declared a threat either to themselves or to other family members. And so, you know, obviously with COVID, with domestic abuse uh, numbers on the rise, mental health concerns, we know those are you know, becoming a majority of calls for service for mm. police. Um, you know, the, the worst thing I can do here is stand back and allow people who we know are dangerous to be able to hold on to their gun. And so why we started a, a public information campaign about this is most people in Virginia don't know anything about the red flag law. They don't know it exists, um, but we're relying on them to, you know, if they have a loved one that they're concerned about, say something, mm. you know, say something to the police and, you know, maybe we can get that gun out of their hands and prevent a tragedy from happening. It's happened over 60 times um, in Fairfax County over the last year. And so this new tool is an important crime prevention tool for us. Um, but in my opinion, it's not a substitute for what I think are some additional reforms to gun ownership that are necessary. Um, this is but one tool. It's one the General Assembly gave us. It's one we're using, and it's one that is literally saving lives. So I want to publicize that. Um, it's Suicide Prevention Month, and I know um, that part of the red flag law and the, and the reason behind it, you mentioned this, is you're a danger to yourself or to others. Mm. Um, can you speak to that at all? Because the access to a gun... Um, we don't cover suicides generally in the news because we don't want to, you know, publicize them at all to give anybody maybe more of a reason to, to take their own life. But can you talk about how the red flag log really would make a difference there? 
Yeah, well, we know that over half the suicides committed are because of easy access to a gun. Um, and we know that makes someone who's considering committing suicide, it makes it too easy, um, just to be blunt uh, with you. And, and, you know, the stress that people are under right now is all of our responsibility, not just theirs. And so if I can get guns out of the hands of people who we think are suicidal, people who are having mental health challenges, um, we can predict, you know, we potentially could prevent a, a real tragedy from happening. As yeah. I said earlier, one of the worst calls to receive is a suicide call. We don't publicize those because we want to protect the individuals and their families. Um, on the flip side of that, because they're not publicized, I think a lot of people think they're not prevalent, and mm -hmm. they are. Mm -hmm. um, suicide is very prevalent uh, in, in not just in, in Northern Virginia, but all over the state of Virginia and our region. And so uh, we want to talk about it in a proactive way. You know, observe your surroundings. If you see someone who seems suicidal, tell somebody, do mm -hmm. something. Don't just stand by idle. And certainly, if it gets to a point where we can remove a gun from one of those households, we want to be doing that. Mm -hmm. mm. Shifting now to another essential, you know, public good, which is firefighting. Um, we've heard from volunteer firefighters in Fairfax County that there is a bit of a shortage going on there, too. How much does the county rely on volunteers and what can we do about this shortage in fire departments? We appreciate our volunteers. Uh, we do rely to them to a certain extent, but vast majority of our department is paid professionals. And so, um, you know, I am concerned always about keeping morale up and keeping volunteerism going, but mm -hmm. our fire department is predominantly run by paid professionals. Um, I do think that, you know, when you look at calls for service, I think most people in the county would be astounded to learn that a majority of calls for service are EMS calls. They're medical calls. They're not fire in mm. the traditional sense. And so we're running as a lot of emergency medical operations. And during COVID, um, those were particularly difficult because you were dealing with people who were suffering from COVID, had respiratory issues, but then also were potentially infectious to, to other folks. And so, um, you know, one of the things I think that has happened is that more and more people are looking at fire and rescue as a medical career as opposed to a firefighting career. And the statistics support that. And so it then becomes a little bit more difficult uh, to mm. recruit because not only is that more stressful, it's mm. a lot of liability associated with it. And through COVID, you know, you're literally putting yourself at risk for infection while you're trying to save someone else's life. And so uh, firefighting has changed a lot. Mm. Um, in our recent graduating class, I was there just last week of our recruits. You know, we had recruits from all over the country, uh, men and women of every uh, background, um, but what was clear in the comments that were made that day is these people spend a majority of their training on EMS responses. And that's just the changing nature of fire departments and aging of our community. A lot of things that are happening. And so it does become a, a little bit more difficult from mm. a recruitment standpoint. Um, to crime and schools now, um, Chairman, many parents, of course, in Fairfax County still have questions about how a former counselor named Darren Thornton in FCPS was able to stay on the job after being arrested for solicitation of a minor. Uh, we know communication between Chesterfield Police and Fairfax County broke down through that process. There is an investigation going into that. So we, of course, understand that you can't give us every single detail. But um, what is Fairfax doing to make sure this doesn't happen again on a broad scale? Well, first of all, I'm calling for legislation at the state level. I think this is a breakdown of the state system. You know, um, I served for a while as the president of the Virginia Association of Counties, and I can tell you counties all over Virginia come in many different shapes, sizes, and sophistication. And the idea that the best the Commonwealth can do is say to school systems, notify, uh, you know, police departments, notify a school system if you arrest somebody who's employed by that school system uh, seems fraught with a whole lot of problems. Yeah. Uh, what is notification? 
How do you complete that? How do you verify it's received on the other end? I mean, it's it's 2022 and we're talking about faxing things or you know picking up the phone and just calling someone and if you don't get through, hang up and check a box. No, 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 no. You, the state standard ought to be a very sophisticated system where there has to be somebody signing off on both sides mm-hmm. of this to make sure this type of thing doesn't happen. What frustrated me is, you know, there was a jump to a conclusion that Fairfax County had done something wrong. And I've, you know, spoken with our schools, spoken with our police. You know, certainly we may find things we can improve as well. Yeah. Um, but we have a very sophisticated internal system. When we arrest someone from another school district, what we do. Mm. Um, and the other thing that concerns me and why I think this needs a statewide fix, but I also think it needs a national fix, is think of where we are in the DMV. So if the Virginia law says you do, you do X, but the person you arrest lives in Maryland, mm. what does that mean? What does the Maryland law say? What is the district's requirements on this? And so, you know, frankly, in my opinion, there should be a nationwide database of people who have committed certain crimes and work in school systems across the country Mm -hmm. um, to prevent someone like this from being able to continue to be employed there. And so I think there were breakdowns on multiple systems, uh, Virginia State Police System for sure. Uh, The Virginia Code section that talks about what this is, is woefully insufficient. Um, And this is an example of where instead of pointing fingers right out of the gates, you know, my responsibility was and to support the schools mm-hmm. is let's do an investigation and find out exactly what happened that was wrong here. And even before we could do that investigation, it was clear that the communication from Chesterfield never happened in Fairfax County. And so that checks one box. So that's it didn't a problem. make it to you because right. the email never made it to you. Right. Correct. And so that's a problem you know, right out of the gates. They don't need much of an investigation to figure that out. But the reason why I support an investigation is what can we also be doing on our end to be even more proactive uh, in this space and not just reactive and receiving? And is there a role to be played in that front? But it's very concerning to me that something like this could happen simply because one county didn't successfully transmit a message to another county, yeah. and there's no accountability for that. Mm. My question, too, is about the, the background checks for um, FCPS employees, because as far, I mean, as my recollection is, is that he was employed before that, and then this happened, the solicitation happened during his employment, and then the new year started, and he wasn't background checked again because he wasn't a new employee. Correct. Do you think that that's something that should be happening every year? Well, first of all, I think we need a a real live database of some type, as I mentioned earlier, because even the solution of doing that every year doesn't solve a problem like this. Right. Because a once in a year snapshot, somebody Mm. could potentially be working 11 months after something happened. And so to me, that's not alone the answer. We need something more real time where somebody can go in and look and, you know, see and make sure when that arrest happens. There needs to be some type of an automated message to the employer so that real time we can see that. An annual background check is is onerous. It's expensive. It wouldn't necessarily solve this problem. If it's done in concert with some other reforms, mm. I'm obviously open to it, but it would not have prevented the problem that just happened here. Right. Mm. You need like a flag, like a, like a flag to pop up and say there's something, there's, there's activity on this person's. Absolutely. And, and look, I have two kids in FCPS. I don't want to wait potentially 11 and a half months before I find that out when their next background Uh, check is done. I want to know it like the Monday after the Sunday that the incident happened. Mm. And so that's where we've got to be as a state and and a state as sophisticated as Virginia can do way better. In other words, you want to make it public. So when, when it happens, there's a public database, just like Delegate Vivian Watts proposed. Yeah. And I've spoken with Delegate Watts. She has some great ideas for ways we can fix this, wants to partner with us. I mean, frankly, when the news came out on this, we were were flooded by members of our General Assembly who want to work on a solution because Mm. they also recognize this is a real flaw in the state system. 
Um, okay, so moving to uh, across the region, schools have seen more threats. Obviously, it's very concerning for everyone, parents, teachers, I mean, everybody, neighbors, first responders. There was a scare last week at Bailey's Crossroads that didn't actually end up materializing, but of course forced the lockdown of Wakefield High School and Claremont Elementary out of caution. Um, but most recently, I mean, just anecdotally, there are a lot of threats coming into schools region-wide, um, and they're from the students themselves. Uh, what's your top concern about students' mental health and the support they need coming out of the pandemic, and how is Fairfax meeting that need? Well, my top concern starts with supporting our kids um, and supporting our schools and not be disparaging towards our teachers and our kids. That's that's where I start. And, and kind of what we were talking about earlier with the unrelated walkouts, you know, respecting children so they can respect each other. Mm. Um, and so that it starts there. And we have to make sure that we're created an environment where that can foster. Um, I think, what, you know, we talked about guns earlier, the availability of them. It's way too easy for people to get guns. Uh, for adults who have guns, um, you know, it's way too easy for kids to access those guns. We have found that across the board. Um, and so access to guns is, is a real issue. Um, you know, recently um, the schools did a survey, a youth survey of their kids at multiple grade levels. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the things that came back was that well over 80 percent of our kids feel safe in their schools. And so we know that most of our kids, thankfully, feel safe at school. And they should because school should be a safe haven for all kids to go into. Did you find that surprising? Um, I, I did I mean, not, I I, you know, I did not find it surprising just because I, you know, living this with my own kids, um, you know, and talking to kids all the time, they do feel safe at school, but they don't always feel safe when they're outside of school. Okay. And sometimes those outside of school influences come into the building. Mm. They may or may not even notice it. And so that's where, you know, after school activities, all the things that we hype about in Fairfax County become so important mm-hmm. because so many of our kids find that school, it can be the safest place for them to be. And this is something we worried about a lot during COVID. You know, um, characteristics of kids a lot of times show up at school mm-hmm. before they're even realized at home. Mm. Uh, stress that kids are facing, suicidal tendencies, um, domestic abuse, yeah. uh, child abuse that, that they may be subjected to. So often we find those things through the school system and then link those families up with help. And so I think inherently a lot of our kids do feel like schools are safe. But when right. you look at the national news, I mean, you mentioned an incident that happened in Bailey's and, and that's fair. It was a, a pretty random incident that, you know, concerned a lot of people. Um, but, you know, whenever there's a shooting that happens in Fairfax County, I think all of us as parents instinctively think, how do we protect our kids regardless of where they are? Yeah. You know, we had an unfortunate incident at Tyson's that happened not long ago. Right. Kids could be at the mall. It just raises and like the level of anxiety, even if it doesn't materialize. Mm. If it's if your school's on lockdown and you hear there's a shooting, right? Sure. I mean, it's going it to change. Does. It yeah, does, you feeling. know, and, and the schools do a really good job of doing lockdown training for kids mm-hmm. so that if there is a real incident that occurs, our kids know what to do. But this goes back to the stress of kids I was talking about before. You know, when I was a kid in our school system, we didn't have to do that. The idea that kids have to go down a lockdown drill, in particular in a country and in a state like Virginia where we can't do better to prevent gun violence is concerning to any parent. It's stressful to any kid. Mm -hmm. Um, Luckily, we live in a county where I know overwhelmingly people believe that we need to do way better job controlling access to guns. And and maybe we'll get to a point where we won't need these lockdowns like we're doing as a part of a an annual routine of kids. Mm-hmm. You know, it's 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 a sad state of affairs, but I reassure parents constantly that our schools are enormously safe. 
They have procedures in place if something happens to be able to respond quickly. We have school resource officers in all of our middle and high schools. Uh, they're linked to all of our elementary schools. We have you know over 200 school buildings in Fairfax County and a very sophisticated linkage between our police, school security, school resource officers, school personnel to make sure that we're creating and fostering a safe environment. And we will end it there. Jeff McKay, chairman of the Fairfax County Board of Supervisors, thank you for coming in today and sharing you know, your perspective on all of this for us. Thank you all. And after the break, we remember our colleague and friend Mike Causey, who passed away in the newsroom yesterday. Backed by the experience of its hardworking members, Steamfitters Local 602 is ready to take on your next commercial heating, cooling, HVAC, or refrigeration project. Steamfitters Local 602 adds value to our community through its partnerships with local contractors and building owners, all while keeping the focus on improving the lives of its members and their families throughout the DMV. For work that's on time and on budget, go to steamfitters-602.org to schedule your next project. That's steamfitters-602.org. Steamfitters Local 602, changing lives. Thanks for listening to the DMV Download. If you like this show, give us five stars and leave us a review on Apple Podcast. We love hearing from you guys, and your reviews really do help other listeners find this, our area's only in-depth daily local news podcast. And thank you for making us a part of your day. And before we go, we wanted to share with you guys, we lost one of our colleagues yesterday, Mike Causey, who was a staple at our sister station, Federal News Network. Um, He actually passed away at his desk yesterday. And we shared a studio with him here where we're speaking to you now. And, you know, he had graced his presence with us upon this whole newsroom so well. I mean, it's such a fantastic sense of humor and was an incredible journalist. I mean, the more and more I'm learning about this man today, I mean, I'm just I continue to be floored and shocked by his journalistic prowess and Mm -hmm. just the person he was. Mike was 82 years old um, and he had worked for The Washington Post and had a regular column on feds for a very long time before he ended up coming over to us. But I got to tell you guys, I mean, he was the most disarming, funny guy. Like he would just say the funniest things. Like he was coming to the studio one time and he was like, hey, Megan, if Scarlett Johansson walks in and she's looking for me, just tell her I'm in the studio. And would you mind getting her coffee (laughs) while while she waits? I was like, sure, Mike. Like what? And Tom Temin, who's the host of Federal Drive, you know, wrote a really fantastic and beautiful um, obit for Mike Causey. And he really says it best. So I'm just going to you know, pull an excerpt from that piece. Quote, he was so unpretentious, so down to earth, so welcoming. He floored me. I couldn't help but like him immediately. People liked Mike because he liked people. End quote. And I mean, you should really check out this piece that Tom Temin wrote about his beloved colleague, Mike. It's beautiful. It's interesting, too. I mean, you know, you have these moments as an adult where you, it just kind of gives you a perspective. You know, you think about the amount of work and the amount of change that he affected And we're kind of, you know, starting our career, like mid-career. And it's just, it makes you take a step back and realize, you know, there's people, there's giants who came before you, you know, and he really made a mark on this industry and he will be very missed. We will miss Mike. And that'll do it for us today on the DMV Download. We are sponsored by Steamfitters Local 602. Our managing editor is Craig Schwab and our music is by Real World. Give us a review and rate our show if you get the chance and tell your friends about the show. We love to you know talk to more people. So definitely tell your friends and family. I was just going to say, do you remember Mike, he would come over and he his his he was 82, so he didn't wasn't so good with phones. And his daughter would like send him the link to our show every day. Yes. So he could click it every day and listen. And I just thought that was so sweet. Oh, he was so supportive. Sorry. Okay. 
back to back to the outro. We are on social media every single day, and we'll be posting a tribute to our friend as well today. And if you want to become a VIP listener, you can go to dmvdownload.com. The DMV Download is a product of WTOP News. Listen on 103.5 FM in the D.C. area, 107.7 FM if you're driving around in Virginia, and if you're in Frederick, Maryland, 103.9 FM. You can also find us online at WTOP.com and on the WTOP News app. Have a great night, everyone.